When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily. Today is Wednesday, November 29th, 2023. On today's episode of the show, we are going to be gathering around the virtual water cooler to talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Jacob, I want to start off with a quick correction. Uh, Nathan from Canada wrote in responding to our news episode yesterday where we were talking about a new Karate Kid movie. And Nathan said, slight correction to the Jackie Chan Karate Kid movie. Chan's character's name is Mr. Han, not Mr. Miyagi. So uh, Brad apologizes for that error that he made on yesterday's show. And uh, and yeah, we, I just wanted to, uh, to point that out. We got a few messages um, pointing that out. So uh, yeah, still curious about like what the relationship is going to be between those characters if it's like a literal relationship or um or yeah maybe they knew each other in some way uh but yeah i just wanted to point that out and and not go a whole week without addressing that again so um thank you to all the folks who reached out to us about that and then jacob let's dive into it and into the water cooler here so what have you been doing recently um this is the part where i wonder how much listeners care about our personal lives um if this like i do listen to the show just for movie news just for the TV recommendations or they are interested in us. I don't know, but I'm going to go ahead and assume at least a handful of people are interested in what our lives are up to right now. Um, I kind of hit a rock bottom recently, Ben, uh, mental health wise. I mean, I've, I've talked about my depression on this show before and I've had my ups and I've had my downs and I have just in general uh, battled my own mind uh, for as long as I've been alive. I don't remember a time in my life where I haven't, uh, been incredibly depressed and I've been seeking treatment in various ways. Uh, I've tried just about everything. Uh, most recently, uh, uh, psychedelics, which is a topic for another podcast. Uh, <laughs> but I'm trying to refocus my life. I'm trying to reprioritize uh, what's good for me. And that means cutting out certain things. Like you won't see me in certain parts of the internet anymore, um, at least for a good long time. I bought a Fitbit. I'm, I'm years late, but I bought a Fitbit, and that thing tracks your steps. Then, right? <laughs> I'm trying to do seven thousand steps a day minimum. I hit ten thousand uh, yesterday, but that was a fluke. I don't think I'll do it every day. Uh, but you know, I joined the gym. I hired a trainer. Um, I started, and I'm trying, trying to read a larger variety of books. I'm trying to refocus my life around how to take care of myself first. I, I think that a huge trap I fell into and it's, it's because I love movies so much that I started conflating my love of movies and TV and entertainment uh, with my job. And I made that into my life. I, I started really putting work first above my own care and above mm-hmm. care of other people. And because I I'm fortunate enough to work in a sphere where my interests overlap with my professional life. It was invisible to me just how self-destructive it was that if something went wrong on slash film, um, I took it personally. If something had to happen on the site that, you know, 
you know, that I thought, you know, wasn't the, uh, wasn't my personal favorite thing to happen to say, I, 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 I let it wound me. But the thing is, you know, slash film is a much bigger thing than me. It, it, I'm not slash film and slash film is not me. And I had to teach myself that. And I love this site. I love working for the site. I love this podcast. I'm passionate about the work we do. And I'm passionate about the people I work with, uh, editors and writers alike. But there came a point where my work became my life. Um, I would, I, I would have you no know, nightmares about work where I would see yeah. our, our, our Trello board where we, where we track our work literally in my nightmares. Um, I've not talked about, I don't think I talked about the podcast before, but I, 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 I've been seeking ketamine treatment and it worked really, really well uh, about six months ago. And I went back for additional, you know, treatments and ketamine is a, is a psychedelic drug. And, uh, and I had my first ketamine session where like I was literally having psychedelic visions of work stress as opposed to dealing with my own stuff, which is what you're supposed to do mm. during sessions. And when you focus and do it right, it really is effective. And I find it to be really worth the time and money. But I realized that, oh, no, I can't afford to seek these treatments if I'm just going to sit there in the dark, you know, on an expensive drug, um, dealing with work garbage instead of my own deep seated personal issues. So. Ben, I am create a five point plan to improve myself. I'm working on it. Number one is physical fitness, replacing a lot of the garbage in my life with going to the gym. And uh, my the, the trainer I hired, um, God bless him, says that he thinks I can be ready to run a half marathon in three months. I would do everything he says. I'm not sure I believe him, but I'm going to do everything he says and see what happens. So, um, I have always been very proud of the fact that my mental illness has never impacted my work. And I don't think it's ever impacted my performance on this podcast or anything related to Slash Film. Um, but I hope that if anybody out there is feeling similarly miserable and similarly battling a work-life balance, you know, Ben's been telling me for literally months that I need to work on this. Uh, and, and I finally listened. So thank you, Ben. Um, and we'll see how this goes. <laughs> Hopefully I'll have more good news in the weeks and months ahead. I mean, Jacob, thank you so much for sharing this because I, I think this could be genuinely helpful for a lot of people who are probably going through very, very similar things. Um, and uh, I, I just appreciate your vulnerability there. And um, and I'm really glad that this has happened because I, yeah, I, I've been watching how hard you've worked and how, you know, I, I love Slash Film as well, but like you love it to, uh, to a different degree, I, I think, uh, even, even more than, I mean, Slash Film has always been, Ever since I first stumbled across it, it's always been my favorite website on the entire internet. And uh, I just feel like you have like, yeah, it's become part of your DNA. Um, and I think this new approach that you're taking seems much, much healthier for you just like as a human being. So like human to human, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very glad that you're, <laughs> that you're taking this approach. And I'm really excited to see you run that half marathon and like, you know, get out there and, and what kind of, um, you know, changes and developments and stuff you, you can make and, and um, what you can do in that time that you previously spent sort of uh, thinking about slash film off the clock. Um, you know, th there's a whole other world out there, man. So I'm, I'm really excited for you to find it. So uh, this is, this is really uh, promising news. Um, why don't you tell me what you've been reading recently to, to kick off this new uh, sort of diversity of, of uh, experience that you're looking for? Yeah, uh, I, in addition to my usual reading, you're reading my usual blend of whatever horror novel or uh, nonfiction book I'm reading, I decided I always want to be reading one of those big, 
you know, intimidating classics, like something that everybody has p- puts off reading or is too scared to read or has heard is boring and tough. I, I always want to be trying one of them and maybe it won't be effective, but I want to dive into like the, the monolithic books. And I decided to start with Moby Dick by Herman Melville. Uh, a book that I've heard over the years is boring and hard to read and meandering. And I'm still er- in early days yet. I-, I think there are still, you know, rough waters ahead in, in-, in Moby Dick based on how huge it is and how trepidation precedes it. Uh, but Ben, um, I'm surprised by how different Moby Dick is from the vision I had in my head. Every single movie adaptation of Moby Dick out there, I think doesn't get the point because I think Moby Dick is unadaptable. I think it may be... It is so far one of the most engrossing and interesting books I've ever read, but it has almost no narrative. Uh, have you read Moby Dick? I have not, and I'm gonna—I'm trying to think. I don't think I've ever seen a movie adaptation of Moby Dick. I think the closest that I've ever seen actually is <laughs> this is really silly and very embarrassing to admit—is a, a sec like an animated segment from a movie called The Page Master, starring yeah. Macaulay Culkin. Do you? Patrick you know Stewart is the book of an adventure. <laughs> yeah, so I think that's basically where my um, relationship with Moby Dick begins and ends, which is kind of, uh, yeah, really um, <laughs> not not exactly what I want to be uh, known for, but um, but that's where I am. Well, I know in, in my head, Moby Dick is a book about Captain Ahab hunting a whale, but that's barely a thing in the book. It's kind of like, a, it's, it's the plot, but it's not the, the point. It, uh, Moby Dick is extremely funny, extremely philosophical, and extremely weird. I mean, uh, as everybody knows, the opening line, call me Ishmael. And Ishmael is your narrator for most of the book. And uh, Ishmael's a weirdo. He's an, he's an odd dude. He has the strangest opinions. And he has strange opinions on everything. Uh, like, literally uh, everything from politics uh, to the church to food to the best position to sleep at night. Uh, to you know, uh, racism to uh, uh, whales in general, it is. It generally is like you're spending, like, you sat down in a tavern next to some old sailor. And he's the weirdest dude you've ever met, but he tells one hell of a story. And even when you're not quite <laughs> sure what he's saying, it's interesting. Even when you disagree with his, with, with his philosophy, it's like, oh, I see why you came to that. Uh, but it's always really, really funny. I mean, I did not expect chapter three of Moby Dick to be essentially a slapstick comedy about a guy who shows up at an inn that's full of rooms, but he can only, uh, and he can, but he, but he can share a room with somebody else uh, and, and, and not be stuck out in the cold for the night. It becomes literally a slapstick comedy about him trying to avoid the weird gay panic of being in a bed with another man. And it's like, but it's like really, it's not like old fashioned or outdated. It feels really modern. It feels really strange about the, the uh, that this, book written you know 170 years ago is devoting an entire chapter to a dude trying to be macho enough to, to spend the night with another dude it is utterly <laughs> unreal this is what it actually is it's not a whale story uh five five out of five so far i'll, I'll finish Moby Dick uh, at my own pace i'm reading it very slowly because melville's language is very complex but man am i really enjoying Moby Dick <laughs> Man, that's awesome. Okay, well, I I think I have a copy of this book on my shelf. My wife and I bought like a bunch, like I want to say it was a collection of, um, you know, 75 to 100 leather bound or or if not leather bound, like very nicely packaged uh, 
like classic novels like that. And um, we filled out our library with them, uh, you know, among a bunch of other things. Um, and I need to really get into the the classic stuff as well, too. I've, I've been like slowly cracking into them here and there, but Moby Dick sounds like as good a place to start as any. So uh, if we have a copy of that on our shelf, I might be uh, joining you in this, um, in this sea bound journey that you're on. So um, yeah, and just to emphasize, I, I looked up some like, there are people out there like there are Reddit threads and articles, but hey, how to read Moby Dick. And all of them are really useful. And they all say, take it slowly, read a chapter a night. Don't feel like you need to like binge it. If, if you feel like you're starting to skim, close the book, take a break. Because Melville's language is complex and he doesn't say things straightforwardly. But the, the, when, when I, every time I felt confused by a paragraph and went back and reread it, I felt rewarded for it. And I don't say that about a lot of books. It's, it, it, it's, I feel my patience is being rewarded with Moby Dick in a way that like I could read lots of books in a day or, or, or two. Just I'm a, I'm a fast reader, but Moby Dick, I feel like mm-hmm. if you try to read fast, you missed the point. Um, so yeah, if you want, I would recommend reading a chapter, then sitting on for a day, reading another chapter, waiting a day, you know, chapters, you know, sometimes 15 pages, you know, sometimes two pages. I know uh, some of them are, are much longer, um, especially around the infamous chapter where Herman Melville nerds it out about whales for way too long. And some people find the whale chapter, <laughs> The whale science chapter to be interminable, and some people find it fascinating. Um, I'll let people make their own minds up about it. But um, yeah, Moby Dick, um, good book. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Let's take a break, and then we'll be right back. All right, Jacob, let's get into what we've been watching. I have a ton of things that I want to mention here, so I want to let you go first uh, and just tell me what you've been watching recently. Yeah, I want to talk about The Amazing Race season thirty-five. Uh, I know on this podcast a little while ago, I talked about binge watching the amazing race from the beginning with my wife uh it was a pandemic the project we felt cooped up this is a way for us to you know, see the world even though we weren't leaving the house and amazing race has always been you know one of the classier reality shows you know not it has its trashy moments but ultimately adds best amazing race is a pretty incredible travelogue and adds worse it's you know a bad competition um the past few seasons have been odd because of covid and the flight restrictions the past few seasons uh have had to really restrict what they were able to do the idea of drama at airports people have struggled you know book better flights than each other were gone because they, they charter flights for all the contestants so there's no drama no actual racing outside of outside the actual race anymore um they uh a lot of the areas they normally would go to shoot you know were off limits or couldn't be filmed because of covid so they had a lot of really silly and ridiculous challenges that could be done anywhere it's like why fly to germany and do a challenge you could film in los angeles it kind of, kind of, kind of feel that way Season 35 is the first season in about four seasons where they have really gone back to the drawing board. Uh, they've removed the chartered flight. So once again, uh, contestants are at the mercy of, you know, booking their own tickets and finding ways to get around the world again, which is some of the most exciting parts of the show. They're really leaning hard into uh, events and challenges that can only be done, you know, in places like Vietnam or Bangkok or, or India or, or Germany, where, where they, the episodes I've seen so far in the season, I'm not done with it yet. Um, and I feel like, the best seasons of the show and the best challenges, the best episodes are the ones where uh, you're watching a bunch of uh, people navigate a city, deal with culture shock, and hopefully walk away with a better understanding of the world in some way. It, you know, even if it's mild or simple or, or simplified uh, in a way that, you know, doesn't give you the full picture, but at least makes you appreciate that, hey, this is a very different place. And I'm happy to have seen people experience it if I couldn't be there myself. So Amazing Race mm-hmm. Season 35 is... I'm not going to say it's like amazing TV, but if you're the kind of person who enjoyed the earlier seasons pre-pandemic uh, and you you kind of missed that vibe, season 35 is definitely a return to form. 
Okay, so that's the amazing race. And is that on uh, is that on Paramount Plus? Where are you watching that? Uh, Paramount Plus, but I believe uh, scattered seasons are available on Hulu and Netflix as well. But uh, all seasons, including the new one, are on Paramount Plus. Okay, cool. Uh, what else have you been checking out recently? Uh, not to plug my own, my other project, but uh, the former slash film editor and writer uh, Hoytra and Bowie and I have been doing our Doctor Who and Star Trek podcast for some time. And we recently uh, cracked open uh, classic Doctor Who. We went back in time to the 60s and started watching the earliest, creakiest, most black and white, most low-budget Doctor Who imaginable. And I don't want to go too long. If you, if we, like I said, we're trekking time and space of the show where you can hear me go long Doctor Who. But I at least want to mention it here because I know that there's a bigger audience uh, of, of folks who may be curious if I have an opinion on old Doctor Who. My answer is that old Doctor Who is surprisingly watchable. I, I was kind of dreading it. I thought that this is going to be absolutely interminable. Uh and while I don't think it's as vibrant or as exciting as, as 1960s Star Trek, which I think feels, you know, not necessarily modern, but very, very watchable by, by modern standards, uh, old 60s Doctor Who has an absolute charm to it. And if you're willing to meet it halfway and, you know, forgive the fact that it was being filmed one episode per week, uh, you know, written in rapid pace by actors who are oftentimes forgetting their lines because they can't <laughs> be able to film it again, there's absolutely <laughs> a bizarre energy to, doc- to old Doctor Who. And I especially like watching it as somebody who's watched a lot of recent Doctor Who, you know, 20th century Doctor Who, and kind of can go back and appreciate uh, just how much the mythology was made up on the fly. And you can kind of see pieces come together. It's, it's the same way that, one of the same ways it's fun about watching old Star Trek is seeing, you know, oh, in 1960, Kirk said this. Sorry, 1966, Kirk said this. But in 1991, Captain Picard says this, and they contradict each other. And that's, kind of, that's probably the, the fun of the long-ranging sci-fi stuff is, is to look for the contradictions and then later on look for how the show tries to explain those contradictions so yeah if, if you've been putting off watching old doctor who like i was worried about uh but if it's fun like i said probably not as probably won't enjoy as much as modern stuff but it, it, it's, it's 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 i'm having a real good time with that old show and is that like only streaming on bbc or where do you find those old seasons to watch uh you can watch it for free on tubi uh, with commercial breaks, or you can watch it on BritBox, which is the streaming service full of like virtually every BBC show imaginable. Do you? Which one do you do as somebody who you know pays close attention to Doctor Who stuff for your other podcast? Uh, right now, BritBox, but we're weighing switching over to Tubi just to save a little bit of money. Because like, yeah, honestly, yeah. Like, I think it's a matter of like, do the roller commercials bother us that much? Yes or no? And I don't know the answer is yet, but we'll find out. Yeah, Tubi's actually like surprisingly. It has like a. a surprisingly stacked library of stuff where like there's a lot of things streaming there that aren't streaming anywhere else and it's pretty easy to watch um yeah with like just a few commercials here and there so i would recommend checking out tubi if you if you haven't watched anything on there there's like some (laughs) really wild stuff there so check it out um what else have you been watching jacob uh are you familiar with the oldest view i don't think so i don't think i've ever heard of this okay uh, the Oldest View is interesting. It's a new YouTube project from filmmaker Kane Parsons. And Kane Parsons uh, sort of came to the fame when he started making uh, short films, uh, horror-centric short films, uh, uh, straight straight to YouTube. Uh, and they're, they were really impressive to the point where uh, A24 partnered, partnered with him to make a big-budget version of his YouTube uh, uh, series. Uh James Wan is producing, uh, and it's in active development as a big new horror movie from A24, James Wan. Um, wow. And while King Parsons works on that, and it's becoming a, a feature film, he started making a second YouTube project called The Oldest View. 
Uh, like the other stuff, it's it's, hard, it's a horror story. It's largely found footage. And I kid you not, Ben, the second or third episode of The Oldest View, which is about 48 minutes long, is the single scariest thing I've watched in 2023. Um, wow. Is, there is a very brief prologue episode and then a extremely disconcerting second episode it runs about 12 minutes and third episode which is the most recent one there's been not, not a fourth one quite yet it's about 48 minutes long and i watched it on my phone in bed at midnight I had to pause every five to ten minutes because i was so stressed out by it that i couldn't i couldn't take it and i make sure it was crazy my wife was in my wife came back in town from a trip and i said you, you gotta watch this you gotta watch it on your phone with me in bed so we watched it on our phone, and about three minutes into it, she says, why is this the most stressful thing I've ever seen? Um, <laughs> I don't want to explain the plot, other than to say it's a supernatural found footage horror story. Um, and I don't want to say much more, because I don't know how he made it. Because this is the part where I tell you, Ben, Kane Parsons is 17 years old. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. And uh, makes you makes you feel ancient, and and um, like, what have I done in my life? This guy has a film deal with A24. Uh, he's also making some of the best, most exciting horror films I've ever seen straight to YouTube. So um, the oldest view on YouTube, don't look up anything. Don't look at the plot. Just find the first episode, watch them straight through. Try to do one sitting, try to do it at night, try doing your phone. I think that watching it on your phone lends to the idea that you've truly found something bad <laughs> and something, something that was truly found. So yeah, that's the oldest view. You can just uh, YouTube that. Uh, and try to avoid clicking on the infinite number of uh, videos where like so-and-so reacts to the oldest view because no, just watch it and see it for yourself. Yeah, man. I mean, this is quite a recommendation, Jacob, because you and your wife watch a ton of horror stuff all the time. So if it rattled you guys to that degree where you had to pause it occasionally, that's like, that's really saying something. So um, yeah, yeah, good I'm stuff sure there. So. Message this podcast and be like, it's not that scary, but no, I was, I was legit stressed out watching it. Like I, Man, I watched it twice, and both times I was freaked the hell out. So, yeah, but also, like, <laughs> you don't like found footage. If you don't, it's not going to win you over if you don't like found footage stuff. So, I, I get it. But if, if you already are okay with that kind of stuff, and I very much am, then yeah, you should you should be watching this. Okay, cool. Uh, well, I watched a bunch of stuff over Thanksgiving, so I'll try to breeze through as much of this as possible. Um, I watched David Fincher's The Killer, which is streaming on Netflix. Have you caught up with this yet? Yeah, I saw it in theaters. Uh, I love The Killer. I thought this, this movie is really funny and uh, very. I'm curious if you agree with me that it's about the indignity of trying to work in a, in like a gig economy. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and I loved it as well. It like it looks just as sleek as all of David Fincher's movies do, and the humor is really what sort of drew me to it. Like I, I love movies that are about people being great at their jobs, but this is not that. Like this movie is so funny because Fassbender's character who is this like sort of uh, stoic assassin figure. He is constantly doing delivering this um, voiceover narration where he's delivering these mantras about efficiency and forbidding empathy and never letting the job get personal and never taking any unnecessary risks and stuff like that. And what's actually happening on the screen is often the exact opposite of the messages that he's preaching, which I just found to be very, very amusing. Um, I think this movie is like very episodic and I preferred some of the sort of globetrotting sections, those, some of those episodes 
uh, more than others. But man, there are some great scenes in this thing. Like the the opening Paris assassination attempt is just riveting. Like I was completely glued to my screen watching that. And there's a, a fight scene that takes place in Florida that's really brutal and hard hitting. Um, there's a moment with Charles Parnell, great character actor, Charles Parnell in an office building that is like, oh man, like my heart was in my throat for that. And then there's a big restaurant scene near the end where I won't spoil what happens in case you don't, haven't really read anything about this movie and still want to check it out. But uh, man, great stuff with the killer. I'm glad you, you enjoyed it too, Jacob. Yeah. It's it's a, it's a real dark horse for my top 10 of the year. I think it may have a shot at it. Awesome. Uh, Well, speaking of top 10 of the year, one movie that I know is definitely going to be in my top 10 is Eileen, which is um, a movie that I saw at Sundance. I talked about it on the podcast back in January, uh, but I rewatched it because I had a chance to interview a a few of the folks uh, involved with it. And um, man, what a beautiful, beautiful movie. I I really love the lighting and the look of this thing. Ari Wegner was the cinematographer on this. She shot uh, The Power of the Dog and Zola. And there are some really, really striking shots in this. And um, Thompson McKenzie and Anne Hathaway uh, star in this movie. McKenzie plays like this sort of mousy uh, prison employee in uh, Massachusetts in the 1960s. And Anne Hathaway plays this uh, really glamorous um, prison psychiatrist who like swirls into uh, the title character's life and completely um, casts a spell over her. Uh, Not literally, but um, the two of them develop this relationship. And then the only other thing I'll say for now is that the story doesn't exactly go the way you might think. And Jacob, I know you've written about this uh, on Slash Film in the past. I'll try to link to your article about this uh, in the show notes so people can can check that out. Um, but yeah, I, I had the chance to interview Thompson McKenzie and Anne Hathaway and the director, William Oldroyd. And so knowing that I was going to be speaking to them, I went back and watched William Oldroyd's previous movie, which was called Lady Macbeth. And it came out in 2016. And this launched Florence Pugh's career to another level back then and sort of put her on the radar for a lot of people. Um, and I thought she was really spectacular in this movie. as a She plays a woman who is forced into a loveless marriage in the 1860s and starts an affair with one of the men who works on the estate of her husband that, that she lives on, this sort of like almost castle area out in the middle of uh, the English countryside. And their affair intensifies to very dangerous levels. And I thought this was like a really super impressive movie given its very small budget. I think it was only made for like 500,000 pounds or something like that. Um, but it really makes the most of some terrific locations and uh, serves as a showcase for Florence Pugh in a big way. So I would say if you're a fan of hers, this is definitely worth going and, and checking out. Um, have you seen Lady Macbeth at all, Jacob? No, and I feel bad because I loved Eileen. Eileen's a lock for my best of the year list. And I love Lady Macbeth has been one of those films that's been you know percolating in my head since it came up. People keep talking about it, and I missed it at the time. And now I get. I guess now that you've seen it, I have to see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd say it, it's it's worth checking out for sure. Um, I also caught up with Saltburn, which I know that you saw. You talked about that I think last uh, week on the podcast. I've really loved Barry Keoghan and Jacob Lordy in this. Um, Emerald Fennell, the writer director, does a great job of taking you into this like ultra wealthy world through the eyes of this lower class character. And I thought there were some fun twists and turns along the way. And I don't know if you've seen this, Jacob, but there have been a lot of people online who seem to just outright hate Emerald Fennell. Like they just despise her. Um, 
And I, I kind of agree that Promising Young Woman did not have the best ending. And I also don't think Saltburn nails every single thing that it's trying to do. But at the same time, I think her movies are really fascinating to watch. And I'm glad she's out there making things and trying to sort of rile people up. So um, I don't know. I, I think you're you're pretty uh, positive on Saltburn. Um, but have you seen... I, I'm, I'm glad if the answer is no, Jacob, because you mentioned at the beginning of this show that you're not going to be in certain corners of the internet anymore. And that's definitely the, the healthiest response. Uh, but have you seen any of this, uh, this I don't know, um, capital D discourse about Emerald Fennell at all? No, I'm very glad not to see it. Uh, I think I, I interviewed Emerald Fennell, the, the interviews on Slash Film, and I asked her about this. I said, do you enjoy riling people up? And I'm going to paraphrase her here, but she says um, she likes, uh, she, she says that she doesn't necessarily like set out to rile people up. She wants to tell the story she wants to tell. And she told me, uh, she'll be very politely in a very nice British accent, uh, that she does not mind if people hate a movie she's if, if you hate promising a woman or saltburn she doesn't care she, she's glad you saw it she's glad you have an opinion she only gets angry when people accuse her of not knowing what she's doing like she said it like i remember seeing this reaction to promising a woman like people saying um how dare she portray this in this way how, why is she being so irresponsible um etc and emerald Fennell told me i know what i'm doing i know what buttons i'm pushing uh don't accuse me of being you know oblivious or stupid you may not like what I'm doing, but I know what I'm doing. And I, and I, mm-hmm. I respect that. And I, and I, I, I respect Saltburn for that reason. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I, I saw a couple other movies that I thought were kind of paired in a way. So every year, Jacob, there's at least one big movie where I watch the trailer and I think, Ugh, yikes, like I'm not digging what is going on here. And I end up seeing the movie anyway. And then somehow end up loving the movie. And that happened to me with The Holdovers this year, Alexander Payne's new movie. Um, That trailer made the film seem much goofier than it actually is. And the same thing happened with American Fiction, which stars Jeffrey Wright as a writer who, as a joke, writes the most stereotypically, quote unquote, black story that he can to sort of like mock the success of similar stories in the publishing world. But much to his chagrin, his book ends up becoming an unexpected bestseller. And that movie, American Fiction, is so much more human and personal than its trailer indicates. There's like a a big plot line about Jeffrey Wright's character and his family, like caring for their ailing mother. And like that kind of stuff is not really um, super marketable. Like you can't really put that in a trailer and expect people to be like psyched to go pay $15 to see it or whatever. Um, but I think the movie itself is better for it. Like I, I'm glad the movie I saw is the movie that exists and not the movie that I was being sold in the trailer, if that makes any sense. And I thought the holdovers did a similar thing where like it, it was, that trailer was like a little too goofy for, for my taste, but um, the movie itself ended up being fantastic. It really felt like a real movie in a landscape where so many movies these days do not feel that way. Uh, have you seen the holdovers yet? Yes, I've not seen American Fiction. I've seen the trailer a thousand times in theaters. This is plays every time I go out. Uh, but yeah, The Holdovers is so much better than this trailer. It's my favorite uh, uh, Alexander Payne movie in 19 years since Sideways, his previous Paul Giamatti collaboration. But what a warm, funny, human movie. I mean, the movie is intentionally shot and stylized. It looked like a film from the 70s. It's also set in the 70s. Mm-hmm. But it has this very throwback style that, and at first I was worried it was gonna be like you know a nostalgia nostalgia play of like oh here's like a, a kish fetish object of you know hey here's a seventies movie, but it really ends up leaning into 
the time, place, and tone. It feels like somebody did not go make a, you know, a... Like, Stranger Things is a fetish object. If, whether you enjoy it or not, it's like, it's not... It's like, here's a bunch of 80s stuff in a very modern style, whereas this feels like a movie that could have been extracted from the new Hollywood of the 70s. And it feels yeah, very, it feels very special and very character-driven and very interested in things that, you know, movies often aren't interested in when they, you know, in, on, on wide major releases. And I found this to be a really moving, really touching, really well-made movie. Uh, and yeah, I've not enjoyed the past few Alexander Payne movies, but I feel, I think he's back, man. He's back. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Yeah, I, I think like it's so, it, it has so much um, room for its characters, like so much humanity and compassion for its characters. And in movies like this, I feel like especially the character that's played by Divine Joy Randolph, I think is her name, um, who is like the head chef basically at the this uh, boarding school where the whole movie is set. And the concept is Paul Giamatti's character is like, tasked with keeping an eye on the kids who uh for whatever reason cannot go home over the holidays so all three of them are sort of like essentially stuck on on campus kind of like that's the the basic log line and a character like that her character is typically just sort of like you know like almost embarrassingly written in in movies like this where it just kind of feels like perfunctory a little bit and it kind of feels like oh you know you're you're coming in to be the comic relief or, you know, just like sort of exist in a box. And her character is so much more um, three-dimensional than uh, contemporary characters like that, you know? And I was just really appreciative of the room that this movie has for its characters to grow and change and be human and be mad and like be assholes sometimes. And like, it just feels like a movie that's made for adults. It feels like one of those movies that we're always saying, why don't they make them like this anymore? And this actually you know, sort of answered that question and, and gave us what we wanted for once. So I, I just wanted to sing its praises for that reason alone. Um, the holdovers is, is yeah, in theaters right now and it's really, really good. No, no better chemistry this year. Uh, okay. Actually, I, I take it back. Maybe the two best acting pair chemistry of this year is uh, Thomas McKenzie uh, and, and Hathaway in Aline and Paul Giamatti and Dominic Sessa in the holdovers. I can't think of two actors in two movies who feel more suited to play those parts with each other, like just dynamite, dynamite yeah. stuff. Yeah, and I had never seen Dominic Sessa before, who plays like the the main sort of uh, high school kid in in this movie. And I thought he was terrific. Like he really, really held his own against Giamatti, who is like quietly becoming like one of the the titans of <laughs> of character acting. Like he's been great for a long time, but um, seeing him in this role, I was very happy to see him like be front and center and like. Have, you know, I, I don't watch billions, Jacob. So I feel like I've lost, I've, I've spent a decade not seeing Paul Giamatti and stuff or whatever, just because he spent so much time on that show. Um, so I, I was just like glad to have him back, uh, you know, under the umbrella of like big American movies again. So um, the holdovers, good stuff. Uh, and American fiction was, was very enjoyable as well. I didn't like it quite as much as the holdovers, but uh, that one's worth seeking out for sure. Uh, Jeffrey Wright gives a, a great performance in that too. Um, okay, I think that's going to do it for today's show. You have any closing thoughts about anything else, Jacob? Uh, I don't think so. Other than um, everybody, take care of yourselves. Take care. Take care of yourselves. Take care of the people you love, uh, and make sure you're doing okay. Because I was not making sure I was doing okay, and um, only a week into it, uh, and we'll see how it goes. But I would very much like to be in a position where I'm doing okay, and I hope you will be in a position too. 
Yes, excellent. All right. Well, uh, Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Overcast, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe to our newsletter. Send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at bpearson at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.